Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. St. Maud is over. Never waste your pain. Dear God, your presence graces the air. And soon, everyone will see. Hi, you, Maud? Yes, hi. It takes nothing special to mop up after the dying. You're prettier than the last one. But to save a soul, that's quite something. Bless Amanda's body and bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh, it's like he's physically in me. It's how he guides me. My little savior. Andy, it's, this is it. This is the last one, right? Of our it horror is. debuts? It is. Sad but true. Wow. Sad but true. I know. I can't believe we already here. I know. Should Where we just does the time pivot go? the show and only do horror debuts? <laughs> just, I don't know if you've heard, but I'm I really like horror movies now. You're quite the horror fan, I hear. Yeah. So what are we doing? We're doing Saint Maud. We are. This is Rose Glass's uh very recent film, uh twenty twenty. So it's definitely the most recent of this uh of this series. And this I I think this may be the very first film that we have discussed on the show, other than like the film board. But on this show, this is the first time we've discussed a film that really has 
been uh, affected by the pandemic. Everything was changed because it was its original release date was middle of 2020. Yeah, because it played film festivals at the end of 2019. A24 bought the distribution rights, scheduled it for release April 10th, 2020, and in the UK, May 1st. And then with the pandemic, they pushed it back to July date here in the US and the UK back to October. And it did end up having a very limited release, January 2021, I guess. And then Video On Demand and Epics, February 2021. So, yeah, it uh, it struggled. It did. And right now, I mean, how'd you watch it? I watched it on Hulu. It's available on Hulu. Uh, that's where I watched it. All right. So we're even Z's. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, Andy, it's the time that I know you've been looking for. What do you think I thought of this movie? I think that you, I think that you loved this movie. Okay. That's a bold claim right out of the gate. Go big or go home, I say. Uh, I also think that you loved this movie. I think that you really celebrate when a character starts sort of normal and then goes just completely off the rails. Also, (laughs) you like movies that end on beaches? (laughs) Two things that I look for in everything. And uh, it's so rare I get to have that. That that perfect overlap. <laughs> mm, the real emotional Oreo cookie. <laughs> well, this movie, uh, when it did finally get released, uh, was rated R by the MPAA for disturbing and violent content, for sexual content, and for language. And it's probably safe to say, if you have a, a, a strong sense of religion, you may not be a fan of this movie. This is it. This is the last week. Andy, Andy, ring a bell of some sort. This is the last week for our annual questionnaire. It's going to come. This show is going to come out. And then probably at the end of the week, it's going to go away. So if you uh, haven't had a chance to fill out the annual questionnaire, any of our show pages, truestory.fm slash the next reel or any of the episode pages have this big button on them that says, hey, fill out the annual questionnaire. Just click on that. Fill it out. We sure appreciate your help. Helps us to learn more about your uh, desires, habits, beliefs, uh, interests in podcasts and helps us make the show better. And to top it off, one lucky listener who fills out the questionnaire will get a free year of membership. Yeah, we don't ask that often. I think it had been, as we said, probably about five years ago that we last yeah. did this. So it's just a great way to get a sense as to what uh, what people who tune in are looking for and interested in. So, yeah, we'd really appreciate it if you could fill that out for us. And while we're at it, we need your support. That's right. Consider becoming a member of the show. We don't sell your information. We do want your support. By becoming a member... You get all sorts of perks, and it really does help us uh, keep this show moving. Members get to vote on the weekly SatMat polls. They get to choose our list topics based on the movie we're talking about this week. If you were already a member, you would have already voted on the list topic for St. Maud already. And that's fun. And let me just tell you, as a, uh, a, a frequent guest on the SatMat, there have been some real setups by the members that have been fun to talk about and also really depressing. <laughs> Dead pets? Come on, everyone pets, loves anyone? lists yeah. about movies with dead pets. Oh, movies with dead pets. Members also get early access to every episode, and they get all sorts of bonus episodes. We have just, I mean, it is in the words of, who was it? 
Peter, Paul, and Mary. No, in the immortal words of El Jefe, <laughs> it is a veritable plethora. <laughs> El Jefe. <laughs> nice. We also have this uh, monthly member bonus that fills in a gap from one of our previous series. We've got a monthly flick chart re-ranking episode. That's coming up. And uh, this season, we're adding this new members-only episode. At the end of each series, members will get a series finale episode that we're calling The Retake, where we talk through what we've learned from the films in the series that we just talked about. So our big horror debuts retake, we're going to be recording that (laughs) pretty soon, I bet. Hmm. Check <laughs> yeah. the calendar. Oh, Nots. yeah. Right, right. Yes, yes. Uh, members can vote on what we're going to be talking about in those member bonus episodes. So, you know, we, our September member bonus episode was Relic, and you likely got to tune into that because we released it into the public feed. Our October one is probably going to be back to just members. So if you want to tune into that, make sure that you uh, become a member so that you can help vote and pick what that movie is going to be. And... You get to listen to this show and watch it as we record it in the members-only live stream. We do stream it on YouTube, but uh, the best place to find it is once you become a member in the Two Reeler chat in our Discord server. We start up a new thread for each movie that we are as we are live streaming it. So you can watch right there in uh, in Discord, and you can uh, chat along with the show if you are so inclined. Members also have access to some of the members-only channels in Discord. We have a great Discord community. We love chatting about movies with all of the people in it. Members get a few extra channels where they can uh, talk with other members and have those uh, those uh, wonderful bonus conversations with your bonus member friends. Everybody needs a <laughs> bonus friend. <laughs> and I'm going to send you stickers. I've got some stickers that, are, that keep coming in, and, and I'm going to send them out. Uh, and so you'll get stickers from our merch store, and, and sometimes not from our merch store. Stuff that we're we're not selling from the merch, merch store. I uh, order uh, custom stickers and send them to you. You don't get to choose. I just send them for you, to you, just straight, wherever you are. They, they just magically appear. Magic. That's right. Best of all, you don't have to listen to all of this every single time. So it pays to be a member. Is that American Express? I think that is. I think it pays to be a member as American Express. <laughs> is it? I haven't heard it in years, though, so TM. maybe it's ours now. Yeah, no, I, I think to, we're adopting uh, it from them. Head to truestory.fm slash TNR membership to learn more about our membership tiers. The most it'll cost you is 5 bucks a month or $55 a year. Meet Zinnia. You are being very polite to someone who is attempting to kill us. Her wife, Saffron. You can plan all you want, but what matters is what you do when your plan falls apart. And their best friend, Goldie. Glad we didn't miss all the fun. Swords in hand, they defend their city from the worst of humanity. I am Lord Buxton Blue. Vicious Soir. The Fraconian Lake. Herhig. Equity Electric. Follow their adventures on the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society audio drama podcast. Available now at truestory.fm slash swashbuckling. St. Maud, Andy. I, I think I think this movie is well regarded. Do you think? Would you agree? Yeah. Do you have a new moniker for yourself? Because, you know, as we learned, Katie decided, I'm just going to call myself Maud now. Oh. Oh, this is a moniker question. Yeah. Should we, um, should we come up with monikers for this episode? Like, sure. maybe, maybe you should call me Dwight. Dude. 
Dwight. St. Dwight? St. Dwight. Uh, let's just do a quick real-time research. Best saint names. I've always been called Steve. Like when people see me and they don't know my name, the first name that comes up is Steve. That's so maybe weird. it should be St. Steve. Is that funny? That's weird. Yeah. I, I want to come up with the most awkward saint names. Dennis. St. Dennis. Yeah. Colby. Maximilian Colby. St. Yeah. Uh, Max is, I'm our, to it. is there a St. Andrew? Yeah. There's also a St. Peter, so yeah. those are right out. That's why I'm St. Dwight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I might go with St. Luigi. <laughs> oh, then should I be St. Mario? <laughs> uh, we are saying all of this in fun. If you're a terribly religious person, we are very sorry for any disrespect we are likely causing right now. All right. Uh, oh. St. Mario? Um what uh yes saint luigi let's do let's do the big reveal what did you think of this movie i did really enjoy it i i don't know if i loved it but i really enjoyed it i i thought the journey of going on this um dark (laughs) descent into madness with with mod was uh, very uh i don't know i i found it to be quite a powerful journey really interesting beautifully photographed just the construction that uh, director Rose Glass kind of used to put this film together. I just, I was really kind of mesmerized the whole time. And it built to just, uh, I mean, really just kind of like a punch in the gut sort of finale that was, I thought, top notch. So I really, really did enjoy this film. Strong, strong work. Strong work from Andy. All right. I, uh, I, I'm going to say this is going to be a harder episode, I think, for me. Uh, because I recognize that everything that I say is, as Steve puts it, uh, the result of they they coked my Pepsi or Pepsi'd my Coke. What does he usually say? Uh, he's got a thing. Root beer. Isn't there a root beer the, in it? Did they root beer my Pepsi? Or root beer your Coke? Or they might have root beer my Coke. <laughs> I, the, There's so I, many I, different directions. I, I sort of feel like they, they like milked my root beer like it is it's a whole different class of drinks uh because of the way this movie was sold i went in expecting and i hadn't seen the trailer uh i hadn't seen the trailer and the first 45 minutes i thought were just straight brilliant it was like you saw the trailer did i see the trailer it was the trailer pick Oh, I didn't watch it. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the first 45 minutes, I think, were beautiful, as Tommy's been calling them a kind of a chamber piece, right? It's this, like, location piece, and we get this incredible relationship that I was right along with. And all of the other stuff you said is right on. It's beautifully shot. It's hauntingly lit. Uh, I, I love the location, and I love these two women together. And that dance that they were going through together, I think, was really special. And then... It, I realized what the movie was all about was that it was not about these two people. It's really about Maud and her journey. And I realized I don't like this movie anymore. I don't like Maud. And spending the second half of the movie alone with her in her like um, Christian Rumspringa or Catholic Rumspringa when she's having sex and the hand jobs in the hallway and all these things, I'm like, I I miss the dance. Uh, to, of uh, uh, with these two women together. I wanted it to be a smaller movie, and it felt to me so much like she ran out of material halfway through the movie and went in a completely different direction, didn't know what to do, and so we lost the central thing that I loved about the movie, and so I feel like I got half a movie, and as a result, I didn't care for it. I feel like it was just not, it, it was, it, it turned into a thing that I didn't care about. Huh, interesting. What do you think of that? Oh, shocking. I know. 
shocking. I guess that's uh, an interesting, you know, way to kind of end up feeling about the film. Um, because I, I felt like, I mean, I, I also, I suppose, was surprised when all of a sudden she is essentially fired from, uh, from taking care of uh, Amanda because she slapped her. Uh, you know, yes. that's probably something a nurse shouldn't do. Although, you know, as we do find out later, Amanda did feel bad for the way that she was treating her. And so there was something uh, interesting in kind of that relationship. But I, I guess I didn't mind it because I found the journey with Maude to be uh, such a uh, such a kind of a dark descent. And as a person who already had uh, a very traumatic situation happen to her in the past, that kind of pushed her into this place of like you know, trying to find God and figure out like, what's, what's the purpose? Like, what is, what's everything that's going on? Like trying to find a way through all of that, uh, just to see how far it kind of pushed her into this further descent. I found it to be very compelling and, and, uh, you know, I don't know, very shocking and interesting. Yeah. And that's the, I, I know that's the problem and I'm going to get, I'm going to get the messages for people who are like oh yeah so i mean i'm not saying it's a bad movie i'm saying i didn't care for it because i have a specific sort of reaction to proselytizing characters who take such a like a hard line toward you know soul saving and things like that i don't i don't care for it and so i hate maud as a as a character person i i don't want to spend any more time with maud than i absolutely have to and that's why i found jennifer ellie ellie Bells, Ellie's. I, I I thought it was Ely, but I'm, Ely, Jennifer Ely. Okay, so I'll I go with know. you. Uh, Jennifer Ely's like a, a, a softening agent to that. I really liked the again the dance between them. And as soon as it was me just with Maude, it just was a constant reminder of the fact that I just I don't want to spend time with this person alone. I don't like all of the things where there are some horrifying things, the standing on the tax, the kneeling on the on the the popcorn. Like I I don't I don't care for it. And so that is deeply personal for me. I absolutely get it. But it 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 absolutely impacted my experience with this movie. Real time research uh, reveals it's Jennifer L. Just like the letter. Outstanding. Jennifer L. Well done. There you go. There you go. Research. Um, I, well, and I, I certainly can see your point, but I would also say it's the sort of character that you do often end up kind of getting in horror films. And as such a horror lover as you are, it's one of those things where I, I you know, it's just I, I guess it's a, it's just a, a, you know, the dark sort of, uh, you know, psychosis that we go on a journey uh, with this particular character. And, and I think it's fair to say this is not a specifically, like, religious movie, I don't think. Would you call this a religious movie? Like, what's the definition of a religious movie? Well, I mean, I think this is very much more uh, her journey into, you know, psychosis, right? Like, she yeah. is, she, it's it's her journey into psychosis, and it's manifested through visions and through all these stuff, but, but you know, that, like, her from her POV when she's lifted up in the room, like, I don't, I don't at any point believe that happened i believe that's her part of her journey into um you know into the psychosis which leads her to the final i i think the 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 punchline to the whole movie is the last scene when she's on the beach and we get that flash so she what she sees is that she has wings and she there she's a being of light and the flash is what she's really experiencing which is she just lit herself on fire covered with acetone and she is it, it, and we have like i don't know 
some frames of her shrieking and charred. And then the movie ends, which is very powerful. And I think, and horrifying. And it it's hard not to say, okay, well, I'm glad we're done. <laughs> but it's a horror film. like that, And that's yeah. the journey that we're going on with this character. I mean, it, it really is this journey into this descent in, in kind of a psychosis in somebody who has difficulty dealing with her own obsessions and clearly has a, you know, some mental health issues that she's working through after a horribly traumatic event at when she was a nurse where she was, as we kind of see in flashbacks, she's trying to resuscitate a patient who is, uh, you know, dying of something. I'm not sure, but she's doing chest compressions, it seems, and goes to compress and drives her hands through the person's chest, which is a horrifying thing to to picture actually happening. And we see it through very brief flashbacks, which I appreciate how how little Rose Glass realized that she needed to show in order for us to kind of get a sense of that entire thing. Like it's just oh, in very a few little. flashes and <laughs> yeah. we understand we're like, wow, okay, that's a dark place to have gone. And also we get a sense when 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 Katie as we find out Maud's real name is Katie, when she runs into Joy on the street and Joy is kind of in shock that that she has another nursing job. And she's like, did they know what had happened? Like that whole aspect of it, I find really interesting. Like, wow, you, you're still doing this, huh? I'm a private carer. You're still nursing? What? Nothing. You're surprised. I mean, sorry, where are you doing it? Who is? A private agency. And they know what happened? Yes. Well, I've got to go. It was nice to see you, Joe. Katie? Take my number, yeah? What? If you ever want to talk or get a drink or anything. And I think what's interesting about the film... And that what Glass is really exploring here is this idea that, you know, we don't really know what's going on in anybody's head. And sure, she seems like maybe she's going dealing with her own trauma of kind of getting through all that, but we don't know how far she's gone. And that's what I find so interesting about her, because, you know, she's she's taken this religion that this newfound religion that she found after this incident to a place where, um, like, her brain has has kind of i guess needed to escape to and and there's nothing that's kind of keeping that in check and so it just goes deeper and deeper into this psychosis developing these visions and everything else that she's doing and all these things that she starts doing to herself like the self-harm with like picking at the scabs and she's kneeling on you know the popcorn uh, the that you said or later when she puts the tacks in her shoes like all these different things that she's doing as ways to kind of like get closer to god it's it's such a uh i don't know just such a dark way to kind of explore this this person who like you'd never even notice right i mean you see a person walking along the street like now i'm going to wonder i wonder if that person they're walking a little slower and more carefully than normal i wonder if they have tacks in the bottoms of their shoes and are walking on tacks right now oh goodness you went to a darker place than i expected (laughs) (laughs) well because it's like but that's the thing is like who knows what's going on with with a person 
And even Amanda doesn't realize what's happening with Maude. And I mean, they certainly, if anyone's having conversations, it's the two of them as Maude kind of starts, uh, maybe not proselytizing is not the right word, but she certainly starts kind of talking a little bit about kind of her views and, and you know, how she has been saved and all this and has that moment with Maude where, you know, she's having kind of an orgiastic moment and and Amanda kind of like, seems like she experiences it too and that creates that connection for Maud that she needs to this person uh, that becomes her obsession dear god here is amanda well you know that thank you for bringing us together lord and thank you for this meal which we gratefully receive bless amanda's body which is hurting now but has done so many wonderful things. And bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. And reach out to her like you did to me. Amen. Is he? interesting part andy because Uh, those two characters together make for such a better structural element in the movie and when when amanda comes clean and says oh i didn't i didn't feel anything i just don't like to be alone he isn't real you must know that no you felt him too remember we both did no honey i didn't That's not true. You have no idea how dull it is to be dying. I hate to be the one to break it to you, but it's just you and me here. Nothing you do matters. That was fantastic betrayal. And so my problem is that structurally, they abandoned the best elements in favor of taking her out into the world when I think the best elements would have been keeping her in the house and having the entire vessel of her disintegration go through uh, Amanda. Right. Because by the end of the movie, when Amanda is when when uh, Maude starts seeing Amanda as a demon like that is so much more powerful if we've had more time to explore them together, right? I just, I feel like it was a waste. It was like snatching defeat from the jaws of victory uh, for the second half of the movie by wasting that relationship, which I think was so, so great that this enfeebled person becomes a massive test for Maud's faith and who wins, right? That would have been a fantastic movie, but it's, but it's the root beer that I didn't get because they got me milk. <laughs> 
And so I know that's on me, but I just feel like it would have been a stronger film. Well, and you know, you know, you know, I, I don't want to try rewriting the story for for Rose, who yeah. you know I, I think crafted a, a strong story. Yes, that might have made for a, uh, I mean, certainly a different story because we are then focused solely on this relationship between the two and how there's this back and forth over the course of the film. But it's not the movie, and and so what we do have is this chance to just kind of explore Maud as she's broken from this obsession that she has and now has to kind of deal with it on her own and just kind of figure out how to survive. And that this is the darkest place for a person like her to be it just alone, right, in her own head, because it just pushes her to uh, to darker and darker places. Very much a taxi driver kind of a thing, right? Yeah, I mean, if, yeah. if Maude isn't an allegory for uh, for Travis Bickle, I don't know who is. <laughs> uh, St. Travis, maybe. St. Travis. Maybe that's... I think he would go by St. Bickle. <laughs> so you think <laughs> but i i don't know i i i found it for me to be powerful to see her broken from this thing that she felt so possessive of that she was she was obsessed with amanda and obsessed with this idea of of kind of fixing her right because i thought it was interesting when she first starts working for her she says as she's talking to God, she has this line, as you know, I have little time for creative types as they tend to be self-involved, which I thought was a great kind of view of, uh, you know, this type of person. So passive aggressive. Oh, I know. She's just the yeah. worst. It's 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 so funny. But in a way, like she's just as self-involved. And when she no longer has a job, like that's all she has is to be self-involved and to just go down this dark road. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally I totally get that. And that's why, you know, I, I was actually I was only a little bit relieved that as I was, uh, you know, I was checking through some reviews after I'd written down mine and a number of them said the same thing, like in the closing paragraph. Oh, by the way, I realize this isn't a movie about this relationship. It's a movie about Maude. And so I don't at least feel alone yeah. in having that be a surprise, given how the movie is isn't is set up. But I I do understand that I might be a bit of an island in in feeling like um like it's it was the wrong choice. Well, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like there are a lot of. I mean, it sounds like there are people who feel that same way. Yeah, it's it's mixed. But uh, I I I think that uh, so much of the portrayal of Maud and um and of of Amanda, it's amazing. I mean, I think these performances are stellar. Uh, performances from both of them. And so I think they're both very believable. And the the effects work is so subtle. Um, Those quick shots and quick, just a little bit of expanding of mouths and eyes for just just frames at a time, I think makes for a a really creepy, just horrifying world that that they've created in her head. Uh, And so I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, the the subtle effects. I mean, some of them I didn't even notice, like when she's kind of, you know, having her orgiastic moment with God and her eyes just get a little larger, like things like that. It's just it's so subtle that that you probably subconsciously catch that. It just feels that you kind of feel that with her, you know, that moment. But it's just it's it's powerful the way they do it. But then, you know, the when Amanda turns into the demon like that was a total surprise. That just kind of took me by surprise. Great moment there. And then all like the swirling elements, you know, when you have kind of the swirling of the clouds or the swirling of the drinks, like there were some interesting moments that we had these different things that were subtle, but it just made for very, uh, I don't know, just 
just very creative ways to kind of make this clear. I feel like the swirling, I, I, what does that mean, the swirling? Did you, is that a reference to something? Because it feels like, I think this movie is probably littered with religious, like, like iconography and symbols that I don't understand. Uh, and so I'm, I want to acknowledge that all of that is probably way over my head. And the movie probably means a thousand times more if I, if I were a student of this stuff. But the swirling felt like an icon that I should get beyond just, just an indicator that she was having some sort of a transcendent vision. Yeah, I, I don't know, because, I mean, you know, we we hear her, like, initially she's talking to God, like, she's always talking to God, speaking to him. Later, we actually hear God, and apparently he speaks Welsh uh, to her. Um, he is so there's, there's there's that aspect of it. I, I don't know anything about swirling imagery in religious iconography. I just think that because, especially, like, we see it in the clouds, and, you know, it's it's like that that whole eye of the storm, kind of that eye. It seems like a giant eye in the sky. It's almost like this pathway to heaven is the way that I view it. And so just that swirling element just for me created like a moment where there was this connection between the heaven and the earth for her. Um, I, I mean, it's it's very beautiful. And it always seems like a triggering element for her to take some sort of action. I'm a big fan of God being Welsh. Uh, <laughs> obvi- obviously, I like I say... Like, I think it's it's great that God appears to her in whatever, you know, language she is most accustomed to, to both understanding and feeling exotic, because she speaks English day to day, but clearly she understands Welsh. And uh, I also kind of like that God is probably spelled with like six L's and a Y-D at the end, and that makes me really happy. <laughs> like, really funny to me for some, some reason. Um in the second half of the movie, we get her exploration of sex. Uh, she goes out on the town. The parallels, I think, between the first half and the second half of the film, uh, between her uh, exploring like her newfound conversion and her the sort of sobriety that she has in it, uh, and her what we we I, I think we are meant to call relapse. Uh, into her sort of clubbing, <laughs> not really clubbing, sitting alone at a bar at a pub and waiting for somebody to take her up on some hallway sex, um, I, I think is is worth noting. Uh, in an interesting way, it's almost like another form of self-harm, I suppose, It's but it's almost also like a regression. I definitely had a sense that this was kind of part of her former life before all of this, especially after, you know, she she ends up going home with that guy and uh, they have sex, kind of an awful sex. And afterward, as she's leaving, he says, I remember you, you know. Yeah, you used to be out all the time. A while back. I think you and my mate Tommy had it off. Ah, I remember you. A lovely, lovely little nursey, hey? <laughs> which is such brilliant screenwriting again that that tells you so much right like there there is this whole backstory that we had for her about this world that she had pretty much lived in before she found god and what's interesting about this point in the film like her apartment she when she goes back to this flat that she had been in like it is garbage like she is just the trashiest person it's a mess like she has really lost all sense of motivation and 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 momentum really in her life. 
mean, her apartment was a mess. I thought it was really austere. Like, there was hardly anything in it. When she starts, when she finds God again. But remember, she, like, it was a disaster for a while. Like, it was just trash everywhere. It was just complete mess. And it's it's after that kind of moment when she leaves him, I think, when she's she's in the bar and she's seeing all, seeing all the drinks swirling again. And she has that moment in her apartment as, like, the fireworks are going off and she levitates up into the air and everything. And that's the moment where she – it's almost like she – or she and she meets the other nurse, I think. I can't remember exactly how it – how it's structured, but she she all of a sudden like has purpose again. And and we see that montage of her like cleaning her apartment and it's just immaculate again. Like she's sweeping everything up and and it's a hundred percent clean. She's scrubbing the floors. And that's when she's like, she's found purpose. She's connected with God again. He's talking to her again. And she's back in kind of that mindset where everything is austere and perfect again. She's in the embrace. Yeah, she's cutting the pictures out of her book, that William Blake book, and putting the stuff up on the walls and creating almost that shrine. Like, she's really um, hit this point where she's back. In, the, in all of her crazy religious glory. Is the movie trying to tell us that the sex and the religion are getting us, like, or in her case, uh, it, it's really like that she's just on two parallel roads and she just happened to choose one? I don't know if it's saying that, but I, I don't know. My sense of the story is just that it's it's hard to, and I think I actually saw um, something, or an interview with Rose where she said something like this, where, you just never know what is going through another person's head. And she's in this place where, yeah, she's just kind of using sex as just, you know, a, a form of, I guess, connection or just, you know, whatever it is or, or self-harm or whatever the case may be. But she's not doing it for the joy or to actually connect with people. And so it it, it does put her in a pretty dark place. And, you know, I, I feel like Joy is the only person who is ever kind of in some way looking out for her, even though she, it, it doesn't, I, I don't know, I have a hard time gauging because the way that when Maud calls her and is just like, well, you never really seemed like, it was It was weird for you to, you know, tell me to call you and that we should go out because you never really seemed to like me much or something like that. Yeah. Which kind of seemed to, based on the phone call, seemed to offend um, Joy that she would say that. So it makes me wonder, like, what was the backstory with Joy and, and Maud? back when she was Katie working at this other uh, hospital. And could there have been a friendship there that that might have been able, like if, if Joy had been able to join her at the club at that particular moment, could that have been the, the connection that she needed in order to get onto a road to healing? Yeah, that's interesting. That just using that device, that sort of that fork in the road that she missed because of her because she chose these two extremes, like she was on this road for uh, extreme sort of anonymous public sex and extreme sort of re- embrace of religion. And this lack of socialization is the one thing that maybe prevented her from or would have prevented her from going down either of these roads in a, in a way that was, would be sort of deleterious to her experience. Sometimes it's just that simple reaching out and finding that connection. And that that could have been the thing that she needed at this point. It's it in that way. I mean, this is a movie that is also very much about, uh, you know, addiction. Right. She's it. she this could have been, you know, just as easily a talking refrigerator. Right. Like moving across <laughs> the floor. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. 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 Like 
this is a movie about uh, about her not coming to terms with the fact that or in 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 so many ways, like the fact that, you know, her will say addiction to religion is not looked at as addiction because it's religion. Right. Like her belief system is has gone so far that it's it's led to harm, just like, you know, using medication can lead to addiction, like opioid addiction and using whatever. Right. I, I think that could be yet another one of those statements, at least that that from my worldview, I kind of pull out of the movie because clearly her her relationship with God is not healthy. No. Yeah. Because I, I would say it's not even with God. Right. It's it's with. a Yeah. The, and that's what's interesting is she has created this idea of this God in her head that really has nothing to do with God. I think it's just. She's taken her beliefs to this place. You know, she looks at enough religious iconography and she's praying all the time. She's hearing these voices, but it's really her own head. And she's just gone to that point. Like, I mean, she gets to a point where she starts seeing this demon come out of Amanda. I mean, it's it's I, I think it's there's a moment like right before when 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 Amanda at that point is talking to her about like almost has kind of a last confession. And she's just like, look, I never really saw it. I just I just you know, I get bored. I get bored of being, of dying. And I just was looking for something. And it, there's like a moment in Maud where I feel like she's starting to realize like how far down this road she's gone and almost could step out of it. But that's when her brain, it's almost like a switch goes off in her brain. And that's when Amanda all of a sudden turns into this demon because her brain is like turning her into this demon and pushing her into this place. I mean, it's just a, it's a mental break at that point. It's, and it's, uh, it's dark how far it pushes her because that's when she grabs the scissors and kills Amanda. I do wonder at times, like one of the things that the movie is really good at is showing us what sort of from Amanda's or from Maud's POV, what Maud is seeing at the time. And what we never get and what is a real challenge is what Maud is hearing at the time. All we get is what Maud is hearing, but not what is really being said. And that sort of I would be very interested to hear, like, what is she hearing that is the actual words that are sort of being filtered through her own psychosis? You know, what is Amanda really saying to her? Because who knows? Like, she's she's at this point completely unreliable. Makes her a really interesting character as a foil but i'm i'm curious like what are the triggering elements for maud that send her down this this other road well i think that i think we did hear the actual triggering thing i think it's when amanda says i didn't i never heard anything like i, I didn't feel anything i didn't hear anything and i just i'm bored and i but do you, do you think the words that she said as sort of maud's vision of the demon those aren't the, uh, are you they may not have even been said. Yeah, as soon as as soon as the transformation happens, I don't know if if there's anything else that Amanda even says. I think you know, Maud basically breaks and goes crazy. And I mean, other than stop, don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm sure she's screaming things like that as as uh, Maud grabs the scissors and just starts stabbing her to death. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it rough. really. Yeah, I know it's just it's horrific. Um, how far she ends up going. You've got and... to watch your home care hiring. <laughs> I was wondering, that that's one of those open threads for me. Like, we get this, like, they, they tease that she had this event that happened before, you know, and, and that she should not be hired. Uh, it, it, that's the effect, I think, of those side conversations and mentions. Uh, and 
I do wonder at some point if she is, because is she, um, I could never tell, is she a member of a church-based, like, organization, or is she, you know what I mean? Is she worked for, like, a uh, non-church-based health care provider? I don't think there's anything church-based at all. I think that that's her own thing, but uh, that was my sense. Uh, my sense is she had worked at, at that hospital that they mentioned a few times. Um, she had worked there. This accident had happened where she accidentally killed a patient and then went to work for a uh, just kind of a, 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 a place where they hire you uh, out as kind of, a you know, a, an individual uh, carer, uh, because we do see her basically getting fired immediately after she slaps Amanda. Uh, it cuts to, you know, she's talking to her boss, essentially saying, you know, I'm, you're, she, you're lucky she's not pressing charges. Uh, she's not pressing charges. Yeah. So that's all we get. And so and obviously, you know, as she says later, when she's talking to God, she's like, I'm unhired, unemployable. And uh, so, yeah, she's kind of pushed herself into this place where she's not going to be able to continue in this career because, you know, I mean, when you start slapping clients around, it's, it pushes you to a place of unemployability. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Just, I, I want to go back to the moment of the, um, that flashback that we have where she is doing chest compressions. Um, apparently, uh, the director heard this story from an old friend of hers who actually had this happen to her. <laughs> horrifying. Just horrifying. I don't mean to be laughing about it and, and making it sound like I'm taking it lightly because it's not. It's just, it's shocking. I think that's really it. She wait, actually, what? She, what? her friend worked at a clinic and it was an elderly patient who had just had um, like chest surgery, like, you know, something with the lungs. And so had a giant incision on his chest and he was 75, very frail and brittle. And, and his bones were just his like bones were meshed brittle. together. They were yeah, not like exactly. if there was chest surgery, they had been ripped apart. Okay. Exactly. And so she, um, so something had happened he started going into cardiac arrest and while they were kind of uh, getting him prepped to move to a different place she started doing chest compressions on him and and it, it cracked the incision and her hands like broke into his chest and it was pretty horrific and uh, i know and and that uh i mean it, it sounded like it may, he may not have been making it anyway i don't really know but rose glass talked to her friend got permission to kind of use that as as kind of a setup in the story here. And I guess, uh, you know, her, her friend said that it was a pretty brutal moment and that the movie uh, kind of captured it fairly well. Although it sounds like it, you know, it's the sort of thing that could likely be even more horrifying to see, you know, in real life when it happens. Because, I mean, geez, I mean, can you even imagine? It's like just shocking. Yeah. I mean, if she didn't turn to God, she would have turned to drugs or alcohol. or So you turn to something after that experience. <laughs> Yeah, and she what she didn't turn to friends. So, <laughs> yeah, wow, it's, it's uh scary, scary stuff. Yeah, I don't care for it. No, no. Each, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I but I, I just want to just just go back to the last moment because I I found that to be so compelling the way that Glass directed everything in that last moment because she kills Amanda as she leaves Amanda's place. It's almost like she's floating. It's, it's kind of that, like, it's almost like a Spike Lee, it's a Spike Lee. sort of shot. Yeah, yeah exactly. Almost. Where she's just on a dolly kind of moving away from the house, covered in blood, 
She goes back to her place. She's got those wings now, those like angelic neon wings that suddenly she's had. And she gets herself cleaned up, takes her um, acetone and dresses herself in, in that kind of sheet robe that she's created, goes down to the beach and uh, for a moment of self-immolation. But I love how we see that from her perspective where all of these beachgoers all kind of fall to their knees in holy prayer for her ascension as like this angelic moment of her rising up. It was so powerfully done. I loved the way they did that. And then to hit us that last moment for that fraction of a second shot of her actually burning and actually inflamed. I mean, wow, I wasn't expecting that last thing. Talk about a punch in the gut that that breaks you from the POV, we've we've spent so much of this film kind of seeing things through Maud's eyes to have that last moment break from that um, that perspective and just put us into the blunt reality of what was happening. I mean, it was I, I thought that was just a very smart way to kind of shake us uh, free from where we had been for so long. One hundred percent agree. That last shot was perfect and. As a punchline to her experience, uh, it was it was absolutely perfect, and it does make me think about uh, the Babadook and um, uh, about Relic, uh, right? These movies that have these final experiences that that ground you back into this sort of reality, whether it's the reality of control in Babadook, the reality of loss of control in Relic, um, to the reality of her own mind in this movie, which I thought was just perfect right because before that last shot it's just like the closing scene of city of angels right <laughs> it's just Meg Ryan <laughs> on a beach but after that shot it's uh it, it is just this gorgeous like horrific revelation of where we've been for the entire duration of the movie and i thought that was wonderful yeah it it really kind of like is uh, just a gut punch so yeah uh, powerful and and to that end i just i felt like the way that Rose Glass captured so much of the film with the shots, with the construction, the way that throughout the film when we're seeing Maud's hair kind of thrown up behind her, like when she's having that moment on the stairs or something like that, it almost, and even one of the poster designs, it's it's almost like her hair turns into this flame that kind of like, it's almost like this hint of what's to come. As, as did you? Did you know? Did you ever look at the poster and think, oh, I bet she lights herself on fire? <laughs> you know, I didn't. I, I, the post, well, it was in the poster all I along. Know, it was in the poster all along. So, yeah, <laughs> no, it's crazy. Just, uh, just yeah. beautifully put together film, though. Well, and and an able able project from our director uh, Rose. I mean, I, I think it's. I, I do think it is like talk about a capable, competent filmmaker uh, making a complicated story that uses all of the right, all of the right tools to tell this story in a really fantastic way that Pete doesn't really like all that much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, oh, well, yeah, what um, you do? but you know, you mentioned the, the performances and Morphid Clark and Jennifer L just, I mean, the two of them paired together uh, just, I mean, it's top notch and yeah, to, to your point, it could have just been the two of them for the duration of this, and I would have been as engrossed in it as I as I was with this version. Like the two of them 
carried these characters uh, so strongly. I just, I was right there with them 100% of the way. I think Jennifer L's portrayal of Amanda, it's just such a, like the way the film is, I'll belabor it a little bit. It's such a disservice to her performance because I think she was really, she was also dealing with her own journey and her own relationship with death. And I think there's such opportunity to explore that, right? To explore this road that she is on and that she cannot escape from, right? Like there is no hope for her and how does she how does she try to come to terms with this ultimately ending you know terribly uh just the way mods does and i just i i think it is a uh, it, it's short shrift to jennifer l's performance i think she did a, a fantastic job um with the the you know half the movie that we get her and i would have just loved to spend more time with her yeah, she's she's really great. So she was in just other films that we've talked about her um, that yeah. she's been in. Contagion. She was in Zero Dark Thirty. Right. And you know, we haven't done the Fifty Shades franchise yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe one day. But she was in those. Um, you know, so she's she certainly has been somebody who's in a lot of uh, over on the trailer rewind. She was in Vox Lux. Um, so certainly somebody who's been a lot. And do you, do you see what daughter, she's in coming up? She's the daughter of Rosemary Harris. Of Aunt May herself. Oh, fancy. Did you see what her next big project is? No. TV adaptation of Dead Ringers. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, back to the twins. Yeah. And Morphid Clark, she was in Crawl. He played the sister. Yep. Yep. So, which is funny. I don't, I I think because her accent, I think that I I didn't pick that up. Well, and we don't spend a whole lot of time with her in Crawl. No, very little. Very little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's all on. The phone. the phone. Yeah, it's all the phone. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, fascinating. Did you want um, to talk about any of these other actors or actresses? Well, so this was the, I'm, I'm talking about the nurse, and I shouldn't have posted this here because you're such a good pronunciator that I wanted <laughs> you to try this. It's Welsh, and it's, I think, I'm pretty sure it's Welsh, C A O I L F H I O N N, Dun, Dun. And it's pronounced Keelan. And that wow. doesn't sound like Keelan to me at all. Well, it's but like Saoirse I, Ronan. It's like, it's, you know, yeah. if you try to say that Suarez. name. Suarez. Yeah. yeah. Or there's, <laughs> you know, we have, there's, uh, my wife has a friend named um, Siobhan. But like, I, and I can't even remember how you spell it because it just doesn't look like Siobhan. Yeah. Like, right. it, like there, there are some of these names that like. Well, I and I, I think it's so, it's just really wonderful because, you know, 30 years ago, this is somebody who would have been forced in one way or another to take a stage name. And so I love seeing these like naturally spelled names out in in cast list. I think they're really, really great. So um, but but it is a challenge because these are just letters that I never would have put together. Right. Keelan apparently is the name of several Irish saints as well. So there you go. It's spelled like another Cowilfion. Cowilfion? Is it spelled like that? It's the one that you're, yeah, it's the, it's the one that you wrote down here. <laughs> Would you in a million years have gotten Keelan out of that? No. no okay. Never. I just want to make sure because sometimes you really, or you, you really have it. <laughs> and There so, are times. All right. All right. Well, uh, we will be right back. Uh, but first, our credits. The next reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by 
Andy Nelson, but it's spelled with a lot of N's and a two. <laughs> Music by Oliver Michael, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at v-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at True Story FM. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing that for our show. Speaking of reviews, here's Next Reel 2 Reeler Brian Blake with his review of St. Maud. St. Maud, Crisis of Piety or a Psychotic Neurotic Mental Breakdown. Uh, too much of the movie, I think, is just entirely reducible to that. Um, really, I mean, what's going on with this character beyond that? Uh, she dresses like she's supposed to be in Queen's Gambit or something from a period piece, but the movie appears to take place in a fairly modern uh, English shore town. Um, but we don't really get a sense of that setting at all and uh, her relationship to it well at all, whereas I think we do in other horror movies like, say, The Exorcist, or um, similar kind of religiously-themed movies like uh, First Reformed or um, uh, even Taxi Driver, if you want to go more the murderous, straighter route. How to do it award season, Andrew? Considering the time that it came out, it did pretty well. Uh, you know, again, it, it had a good festival run, and then it ran into COVID. Um, it had nine wins, 28 other nominations. At the BAFTAs, it was nominated for Outstanding British Film of the Year, Lost a Promising Young Woman, and Outstanding Debut by a British Writer, Director, or Producer, Lost to Remy Weeks for His House. Did you end up watching His House? I, I, I meant to. I never ended up catching it. That was on Netflix. Nope. Yeah, I did not. Yeah, that's uh, it looked really interesting. I just I and now I feel like I really need to watch it, especially because now at the British Independent Film Awards, this film had 17 nominations. It only won two. Rose Glass won the Douglas Hickox Award and it won Best Cinematography. All the other ones. Best British Independent Film lost to the film Rocks. Best Screenplay lost to The Father. Best Director lost to Remy Weeks again for His House. And Best Actress lost to Wunmi Mosaku for His House. Best Supporting Actress lost to Kosar Ali in Rocks. The Best Debut Screenwriter lost to Mogul Mowgli. Riz Ahmed, I didn't even know he wrote the screenplay for that one. Best Breakthrough Producer Oliver Kasman lost to Irun Gurtubai for Limbo. Best Casting lost to Rocks. Best Costume Design lost to Misbehavior. Best edit Editing lost to The Father. Best Makeup and Hair Design also lost to Misbehavior. Best Music lost to Mogul Mowgli. Best Production Design lost to His House. Best Sound lost to The Reason I Jump. And Best Effects lost to His House. So 17 nominations, that's stellar. It ended up only taking two of those. But it seems like His House, Rocks, Limbo, Misbehavior, uh, Mogul Mowgli, those seem to be the films that really um, were taken in all the awards so now yeah. i kind of want to watch all those i mean all of those yeah, yeah. I, I missed quite a few i i mean you asked if i'd ever if i ended up watching the house his house i don't think i ever even heard of it and now i'm just kind of oh it had yeah. watching the trailer silently and it looks creepy yeah it, it it got quite a um a lot of buzz when it first um started playing on netflix like it was around halloween i think yeah uh started playing and uh i mean it, it just looks really compelling i just and i meant to watch it but it's just one of those things where just things keep coming and i just i missed it <laughs> it's like it's like immigration poltergeist yeah pretty much that's what it should be i had no idea what this was about <laughs> but that's what it is yeah. Uh, stay away from the light, Carol Ann. 
How did it do at the box office? Did it, I mean, it sounds like rough sailing on release of this movie. Did it make anything? Yeah, with with the pandemic affecting its release, it really was affected. And I said, probably the first one we talked about where this section is really kind of hit by the pandemic. I couldn't find anything about the budget for this. Uh, my suspicions are, since it didn't get a theatrical release, they kind of kept that quiet. They didn't want to talk about it because generally, if they release the budget, then you know if it made money or lost money. All I could find in the various bits that I did read online is that it was an indie budget. That means all sorts of things, so we aren't going to try to speculate for any particular sense of numbers. The movie did premiere Toronto uh, September 8th, 2019, where A24 picked it up. And as I mentioned earlier, it was meant to open April 10th, 2020, but, you know. It did. Uh, yeah, it did. A24 uh, postponed it to July, pulled it completely. It did uh, release in the UK and New Zealand October 9th, 2020, in a limited COVID-style release. And then you know, similar-ish sort of release, January 29th, 2021, but not to the point where it did much. What I did find is, uh, this is weird, even though it did have a very limited U.S. release, it said that they earned zero domestically. I, I, they had to have what? earned something. I don't know. I don't know. It just, I, you know, sometimes I look at these numbers, I'm like, I don't know what you're, where you're getting this. Um, and it earned about 1.64 million internationally. To that end, no, I guess it did okay for itself, considering the times... Who's to know um, what sort of money it actually made through streaming? But it's out there. That's all I've got. All right. Well, uh, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I guess final thoughts. It, it's a fine movie. Well, and so this is this would be an interesting one for you to revisit. Like, give it a few years. You know the story now. I'd be curious if you rewatched it, if you found it any stronger, or you reconnected, or if you just are still stuck on that idea of what the film could have been. Yeah, I, I am 100% with you on that, because right now, and I'm not, this is not a one-star movie. I think it's a, it's a capable movie. It's a good screenplay and it moves through structurally. It's not the movie I wanted and what I feel like I was sold when I kind of read the log line and why I would have wanted to watch this movie. And that's the disappointment. So I totally recognize that this is a matter of taste and that it didn't, doesn't fit my taste, but it's still a good movie. And I think to your point, I probably would like it more, uh, you know, knowing what I know going in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's I, I I found it to be a very compelling film, very interesting exploration of this dark, obsessive psychosis yeah. that this character goes on. I really enjoyed it. I don't know if it's something I'm going to return to right away, but it certainly would be something that I'd be curious to revisit down the road. Well, especially it puts me in an awkward place given my uh, overall star ratings for the movies in our horror series. Uh, so I'm I'm afraid that at least part of our retake is going to be me retaking some of my reviews. <laughs> well, that will be interesting to see. We'll be, <laughs> it'll be uh, interesting to see how all that plays out. Well, we will be right back for our ratings. But first, here is the trailer for next week's movie. And you know the French, 17 fill, fills? Fils? Mm, fees. 17 fees. 17 fees. I never would have, see, there you go. I never would have pulled that one out. 17 fees or otherwise known as 17 Girls, directed by Delphine and Muriel Coulin. It is the first film of our next series. This is our 10th anniversary. So we've got 10 films celebrating their 10th anniversary. And you know why, Pete? Do you know why we're doing a 10th anniversary series? No, Andy, do tell. Believe it or not, Pete, it is our 10th anniversary, too. We are about to hit 
10 years. What? I black out every time we do this show, so I, don't, I can't <laughs> count anymore. <laughs> yes, uh, 10 years of the show. And so this movie is uh, 10 years old, and we're, we'll be talking about it. Have you seen it? We want to know if you've seen it, and we want to know what you thought. Uh, if you haven't seen it, and you're at least in the U.S., it's right now it's streaming on um, uh, Canopy, which is fantastic. You should watch it there. Support your local libraries or anywhere else you get your movies. Send us a 30-second audio clip, and we'll get your review in the episode. Send that clip to reviews at truestory.fm. And remember, if you want to get ahead so you have time to watch the movie and get us your review, check out our HQ page on Letterboxd. The whole list for our entire 2021-2022 season is right there. Remember, if you want to get a discount or on a pro or patron membership as well, just use the discount code NEXTREAL or just visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd. You can get 20% off. It works for renewals as well. I got no alors vous avez un, un témoin, bon sur certains euh, c'est euh, deux petits points roses, un petit point blanc, ou alors un plus ou un noir. Donc, mais euh, on est obligé d'en avoir un chacun ou est-ce que c'est réutilisable Ah non, 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 je fais un test à chaque fois et ça n'est pas du tout, du tout réutilisable. Bon bah on va en prendre euh, bah, 12. De ce que l'on sait aujourd'hui, nous en sommes à 15. 15 filles ensemble dans votre établissement et vous fédérez. So, reviews. So, we got to talk about how you're going to review this thing. I already kind of. I already spilled the beans. I'm I'm pretty middle of the road on this. What do you What do you think? I I I uh, is it five star and a heart? It's not. No, it's not a five star and a heart. I feel like I'm good with four stars and a heart. I feel like that's did what I I'm impact you at all? No. Oh, no. I mean, I was debating: is it three and a half <laughs> or is it four? And so, if anything, I I went harder on it. <laughs> okay, so. I. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I don't want this to be less than six stars on IMDb. Like it's a, it's over the six stars because I I recognize that a lot of people like it and that it is a movie that I would not hesitate to recommend to other people who are interested in similar things. And so it's definitely three. But is it three and a heart or three stars and no heart or three and a half and no heart? Is that heart worth a half a star? Heart, or is the star worth a half a heart? No, that wouldn't be the same uh, thing. <laughs> it's a half a star worth a heart. <laughs> I think I'm going to go three stars. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, I'm going to go three stars. I'm going to leave it at that, and then the retake might have some might have some impact. So three stars, no heart is where you yeah. are. Okay. No, give it a heart. I'm going to give it a heart. Three stars and a heart. What is a heart, Andy? I'm all about love. Apparently, you're you're all about anatomical heart love. So. Yeah. Can you make it an anatomical heart emoji? I would like that. <laughs> All right, so that'll land at a three and a half with a heart over on Letterboxd, which, you know, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> it's in the chat room. No heart. Mod crushes your chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. I, it's a, I'm giving it a heart prophylactically <laughs> just to protect myself from mod. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So what did you think about St. Maud? We want to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel on Discord, where we will be talking this week in our community 
about this movie. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth Andrew Saint Mario Luigi as Letterbox always doeth Saint <laughs> Luigi. I uh, I went high. I went high on this movie. I thought I'm going to explore the people who really love this movie, and I'm going to see what they have to say. And so I went high, and I opened the bidding with a five star review from Harry. Other worlds than these from September 19th, 2021. It was just like the other day. Harry says that St. Maud is a beautiful yet disturbing artistic horror film with a slow build yet incredible payoff. The themes of religious fanaticism echo movies like Carrie and the Vivitch, but this movie does it in its own fresh, unique way. The ending was the highlight of the film. Never have I seen a movie where the last second changes everything. Thank you, Harry. A lovely, that's a lovely and accurate review. Maybe not worth so many stars. Yes, and mine is too. <laughs> my, my, mine's uh, four and a half stars, a little less than yours, by Max the Movie Guy, who, uh, you know, uh, also is fairly astute with uh, his thoughts on this film, saying, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> Nailed it in one. <laughs> ah, thanks, Letterboxd. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. Okay, we are going to play a little game. I'm going to name a series from season 11, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations. Oh, our big 10th anniversary season featuring all female directors. Let's do this. All right, here we go. Horror debuts. I'm already stumped. Oh, wait, uh, The Lure. Wasn't that based on The Little Mermaid? It was. Nice. Very loosely, at least. Um, how about 10th anniversaries? Hmm. That's a tough one. So 2011 films. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Yep. That was it. Spike Lee's member bonus. Another biopic. Malcolm X. Nice. We have covered a lot of great movies that started as books, plays, even comics. Sources like Awakenings, Wild at Heart, The Virgin Suicides. Queen of Katwe or Clueless. So many great movies from so many great sources, and they're all on Audible. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. 
I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. Thank you.